Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on the podcast, we welcome Rocky Snyder. Rocky is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He's the author of Return to Center, Strength Training to Realign the Body, Recover from Pain, and Achieve Optimal Performance. Rocky is a nationally recognized expert in human movement with nearly 30 years of professional experience and knowledge. He has trained thousands of clients ranging from grandparents to professional athletes and Olympic champions. Aside from owning and operating his own training studio in Santa Cruz, California, Rocky travels far and wide providing educational workshops to personal trainers, manual therapists, chiropractors, and physical therapists. It was such a pleasure to talk to Rocky. He is seriously one of the OGs of the strength and conditioning world, so it was such an honor to have him on the podcast, and we hope you guys enjoy. Today on the podcast, we have Rocky Snyder. So Rocky, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Well, I am a strength and conditioning specialist. At least that's what the paper on the wall will say. A certified personal <laughs> trainer, you know, corrective exercise specialist. I've gone through Titleist Performance and done some work with the FMS and Gray Institute. And over the years, I've, I've been doing personal training and strength coaching since the early 90s. And I enjoy speaking and presenting on the topics. And if you happen to know Perform Better, they have a summer series of workshops coming up, or really it's going to be a tabletop forum with three or four presenters that meet together. So that's kicking off around July or so and running all the way, almost all the way till Thanksgiving. So I'm on board with them. And, and I love speaking at NSCA conventions and conferences. And, and I've got a, a facility here in Santa Cruz, California, a studio in which we train a whole bunch of people. Of course, with the surfboard on the backdrop here, it's actually really there. It's not one of those false backdrops, but I just got <laughs> the water. So I'm feeling a little salty and my eyes are bloodshot. I swear, even though medicinal marijuana is illegal in California, <laughs> why it's just uh, the, the surf was good and I snuck out there and that's it I it's, sometimes I'm a professional surfer and that's when my clients cancel and I charge for the late cancel and that gives me an opportunity to go out and catch some waves and be paid to do so so you know I'm a pro professional surfer and a strength coach I love that and you are like legit an OG in the strength world so actually so since you present at so many places a lot of people that present at like big conferences kind of have kind of their topic that they like to talk about. So do you have, is that you? Do you have something like specifically that you're super passionate about specific? I'm more or less a mutt, to be honest. I mean, I've gone through so many different avenues of research and just interest is so that I have contracts with a local hospital where we work with people living with Parkinson's. I've got other contracts with them for senior strength conditioning. So those populations, I also really enjoy working with high caliber athletes. So as the bubbles begin bursting and COVID lifts, my hope is to do some in-service workshops for a lot of the NFL teams and Major League Baseball and, and the rest of the pro sports world. But I guess if you had to put me into a basket, it would be all about uh, 
posture, the realignment, the integrity of our structure, and of course, the gait pattern or the gait cycle, how we strike the ground, what happens at the foot and goes all the way up from the nose to the toes and back again. So there is a certain pattern that must occur for the most efficiency in regards to movement. And unfortunately, all of us in this world are limping and we don't do it quite right. And if we were to do it just a little bit better, a lot of aches and pains that we suffer from would probably not be there and our performance levels would be through the roof. So that's kind of, that's really what I love speaking about because it is partly so new of a topic that we speak on. The gait cycle is so complex. So can we boil it down to something that's digestible? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So I actually, it's crazy. So Rocky actually reached out to me on LinkedIn a little while back asking to collaborate. And I had just read his book, Return to Center last year. So can you tell us a little bit about your books? It's kind of about what you just said, but. Yeah. So Megan, when we think about the workouts we do in a gym, they are primarily based from three competitions. They're not based in the world of calisthenics and movement theory. It's more about how much can we lift vertically for the most part, gross force production. How much can I just reach and grab, you know? And then how beautiful is my butt or my biceps? So honestly, we're talking about bodybuilding, which is primarily aesthetics, at least modern bodybuilding, the way that we've grown accustomed to it from the 70s on up, powerlifting, so squats, deadlifts and bench press, how much can I lift in those particular positions? And also Olympic weightlifting will throw in there because the CrossFit world has been for the last 21 years, really strong and and helping change millions of lives. Hopefully the majority of them for the better, right? And there's no program that's going to be perfect, but we got explosiveness, we've got aesthetics, and we've got gross force production, none of which aligns itself with other modalities of wellness. For instance, chiropractic medicine, it's all about realigning the body, bringing things back to a more centrated, balanced position where joints function at their optimal level and muscle tension is balanced and organ function and the central nervous system is really working well. And we can look at yoga where the approach is different, but the ultimate goal is the same. Martial arts to some degree, acupuncture, osteopathy, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other modalities that's fundamentally founded at bringing the body back to a more balanced place. Weightlifting, powerlifting, and bodybuilding, unfortunately, do can do just the opposite. And that's draw us out of alignment. And if we're good at one thing, we want to do it more, which will draw us out of alignment even more. Over the years, I just have learned through the paths that I've followed, that we can actually use the gym exercises to bring people back into a balanced state. We just have to know where they are to begin with and select the movements that are going to be best for that individual compared to just, hey, we're going to go through a kick-ass workout and you're going to be out in the bushes doubled over, (laughs) put your name up on the board and you get a gold star and you feel really beat up, but it's got to be good for you. So you convince yourself that it is. And yeah, your knees tweaked or your lower back's bugging you, but you go see somebody and they give you a neoprene sleeve or some drugs and you go back at it. I mean, that's insanity. So Mm -hmm. I just want to stop that mindset and offer an alternative. That's what the book is about. 
Yeah. It's almost like the two biggest reasons that people exercise are obviously because they feel like they have to either lose weight or look different or, you know, their doctor is making them so that they get healthier, but they don't think about the fact that it can literally enhance like how they exist as a human being. You right. know, I mean, it's just people who regularly exercise, even if it's one of those modalities that you just mentioned that are not necessarily centering you. Like I know that they feel more alive, you know, they get that like just reward process in their brain when they're doing what makes them happy. But even sports, like the weird movements that we have to do in sports repeatedly, a lot of those are going to take you, you know, out of what human motion should look like, honestly. So. I mean, golf is a prime example, just force production and spiral rotational manner in one direction. I mean, they're essentially turning themselves into walking corkscrews. Yes. That's a great analogy. Yeah, so then they wonder why their back is bothering them. And pitchers in Major League Baseball or even Little League getting Tommy John surgeries at young at age 12 or 14. I mean, there's a reason behind why the pain in their bodies are breaking down. And surgery may be an alternative, but so can bringing the body back into a better position, a better balance and alignment. Yeah. So with athletes, sometimes if you screw with their technique too much, it can actually screw up, you know, like an elite athlete, typically you can have like performance or longevity, not necessarily both. So how do you approach that when you're working with like a high level athlete, like a high level golfer, for example? Yeah. There's a disclaimer that will go out. You know, if you work with me, I'm probably going to help you in regards to the, the pain that you're encountering or the restrictions that you have but you may have to really tweak your stroke. You might have to kind of relearn a few things and it's going to, it may increase your strokes and it may not drop them down. So just be prepared for that initially. But in the long run, you're going to have 20, 25 yards more on your drive, your short rent game, you're going to have more control. And at the end of 18, you're not going to be looking for the cart. You'll be having your back nine will have as much endurance as your front nine. So it's really, it's, it's rolling it out in terms that they understand. And also there's an educational process that must go along with it and explaining, okay, here's why you're losing your posture on your backswing, or here's why you're having to scoop as you're coming through, taking it to that degree and explaining it that way, there's a buy-in that occurs. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to say, okay, all right, great. Now, I don't want you to go out and hit a thousand buckets of balls right after we're done. Go ahead and go for a walk. And if you want to hit a half a bucket of balls, go ahead. But I don't want you to undo what we're doing and repeat bad habits that are going to probably start filtering in. We're going to slowly take it one Mm -hmm. step at a time. Cool. So talking a little bit about sports, and athletics like your book actually is funny before you were talking about all these different things like your CSCS and I was going to say and you're a writer because I've also read your book and it is a great book and we're going to link it in this podcast because we both just really really enjoyed it you also have a very this is off topic from my question but that's how we roll but you also have a really great way of taking like ideas that are a little more complex and making them pretty simple and making them readable for people that really aren't even into fitness or any of injuries. But I love your journey, how you started off in the gyms and then kind of realized like, oh, there's a lot more to this. There's a rehab aspect. And I just love that. But going back to athletics is my original question. So maybe can you talk a little bit about why doing athletics and specializing and being an athlete growing up does not mean you're a healthy individual? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for the sentiments prior to the question. But yeah, there's so many sports that are not the healthiest. And just because we are athletes in those sports doesn't mean that it's going to promote healthy lifestyle. I mean, let's just take the ones where there's the least amount of clothing, because that's where you're going to have the highest incident rate of eating disorders, right? So it was really interesting. I go back to, I'm going to date myself, but 1993, I took the CSCS exam for the NSCA, Certified Strength Conditioning Specialist for those that aren't aware of it, right? And at that time, we had number two pencils in a paper bubble sheet, and we had to fill them in, and you had to wait like six weeks to get it in the mail. You know, you didn't get like email results and it wasn't, it was. Yeah, that sounds less stressful, honestly. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But the cool thing was, I remember some of those questions and one of them was about eating disorders and which of the sports had a higher incident rate. And for guys, well, you've got wrestling, right? Because they have to make weight Mm -hmm. and they're constantly to put on weight and then make weight right up to the point of the match and bodybuilding you would say the same thing they're always i don't train bodybuilders by the way i tried that myself actually in the mid 90s and it wreaked havoc with me and i burned out of going to the gym and just the dietary things that were going on it was just brutal so i don't encourage it and i don't train people i would greatly refer to those that want to help those kind of competitors i'm not going to call them athletes just competitors That's not me. But the one that struck me the most was platform divers. You're like, what? Platform divers? Uh, One, you're trying to reduce the amount of splash in the water and you're wearing a Speedo. I mean, it doesn't, for guys, you don't get any closer to nudity than that, right? It's like, (laughs) so everything is exposed and your psyche there. So platform divers, wrestlers and bodybuilders for the guys, there's a high incident rate of eating disorders. And that is something that is actually promoted in the sport itself. So how can that actually be healthy? And then when it comes to females, we'll just roll the wheel and whatever it lands on in terms of sport, you're, you're practically talking about an eating disorder. I mean, beach volleyball. Yeah. I mean, gymnastics, gymnastics. Oh my gosh. Honestly, it's more inherent within the culture of the feminine world because Mm of the mating season, which the 20s and 30-somethings are in, right? It's crazy. And then what's really interesting is I just saw an athlete here, college-level volleyball player, female, who is suffering from some severe sciatica, low back issue. And Mm -hmm. without naming schools or names, it happened when she was doing a weight training program with the team. And they were loading up on the back squat, which, or parallel squat, however you want to call it. She had a barbell on her back. And she has a history of inversion sprains in her ankles. And she had to put 195 on her back and do squats. And she tweaked the heck out of it. And she's been injured ever since. And this was a couple of months back that she, that occurred. And unfortunately, The person that puts the program together for that college is the coach themselves. And it's not, I'm not trying to slam coaches, sport coaches, but it wasn't necessarily a strength coach that did it. Sport coaches are great technicians and tacticians. They know about the sport, but they are not necessarily on commonly really understanding how the human body moves in regards to strength conditioning. So that's why there's strength conditioning coaches and then there are sport coaches. But if you're trying to do both, 
you're probably going to fall short on one end of the spectrum or the other, and it's going to put the athletes at risk. And in this case, it did. And so it really depends upon how an athlete is training, if they're training properly. Now, at no point in time, as far as I know, and I've watched enough volleyball games, that you actually don't put weight on your shoulders during a game. But there are times where you're setting and your arms are forward and you're jumping and everything's moving forward. Mm-hmm. So maybe we might want to rethink that, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to go off on a tangent even more so. But yeah, the athletes, just because you're in a sport, it doesn't mean it's a healthy thing. You've really got to pick it apart and understand what it is, what are your goals in doing that? Is it just sheer enjoyment and trying to improve yourself? Then that's great. You might want to look at how you're going to achieve that goal rather than just get out there and play. Yes. Like you need to consider the goal, but also the human that has the goal because the goal can be the same for five different people. And those people need different things to get there. Right. Like one of my favorite things about strength coaching, like, especially with athletes, like is just trying to be find creative ways to understand their sport and what they need in their sport and giving that to them, which in my opinion, like you said, would not be a back squat for a volleyball player, especially not a parallel back squat. Like I don't really feel like other than like just gross strength, I don't think a back squat, especially like low back, not applicable. It's just not, I mean, it's like, it is definitely strength, but it's not like you're a power lifter. Even Olympic weightlifters, I was an Olympic weightlifter, even for Olympic weightlifters, front squat is so much more applicable than back squat. And I back squatted a lot of weight and I just don't think it's applicable. But anyway, yeah, sorry, Megan. That's exactly it. If it's a back squat and that's one of your competitive lifts, you should be doing that. What other sport would you really need the back squat? What would that be as an accessory or fundamental lift? Maybe, maybe cheerleading if you were like a base. If you're a base. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. But other than that, I can't think of any of them. But you could even still that, argue. Like quarter squats. No one needs to go to parallel. Like back squat, like a ton. And I don't really do it anymore. Not like there's anything wrong with it. But as for me, it's like, if I'm going to go heavy on squats, I go heavy front squat, light back. Yeah. That's just me personally. But yeah, it doesn't mean that there's no such thing as a bad exercise. Correct. It's just how are you applying it to the person that you're training? Like there is a place and time for doing back squats. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just most people don't need it. Yeah. Just like burpees. Burpees are a horrible movement for the majority of people in this world, except surfers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Burpees are one of the best movements for a surfer because you got to pop up off the ground, lying face down and land on your feet. Now, you don't have to do some type of box jump or anything after the burpee. I'm just talking the burpee itself. So, you know, there's about six million surfers in the world that could use maybe a lot of them could use burpees. Just like if you're a power lifter, squats are a great thing for you to do. Yeah. Totally. So what do you think is something that all people could benefit from? Like all humans, as far as exercise goes? Well, honestly, it's going to sound really kind of pedestrian or kind of small, whatever, but walking. I think just simply- You were going to say that. Me too. Walking is a restorative <laughs> action. Agree. Yeah. Agree. 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 We used to do it caveman times millions of years ago. That's what we did. And what does that do? Thousands of steps. Yeah. And we're down to like, we have to use a Fitbit to count how many steps we take in a day. Yeah. The average should be 10,000, but we don't even get to the average unless you live in New York, right? Or somewhere where there is some mass transit and you have to go from one subway system to another. And in New York, you definitely get it. I was just there two days ago and I I was wearing my watch and it told me I hit like 23,000 steps. And that used to be my day every day. And you can feel it when you don't have that every day. So when I, 
and now I'm living in Texas, I force myself to go on walks. Mm -hmm. And people think that's crazy. But like you were saying, it's so important. Yeah. Just think of your internal organs. Like everything, when we went from quadrupeds on all fours to Mm -hmm. lateral bipeds, everything shifted. Everything had to shift and adapt to it. And it was that movement of walking that stimulated the function of all organic systems, the respiratory system, cardiovascular, the endocrine, the reproduction, I mean, the lymphatic, the muscular, the skeletal, all those systems benefit from two feet moving through space. But then you're going to have somebody that's listening to this podcast right now and decide, okay, that's it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk five miles every day. Like I'm not, okay, first of all, I'm not saying that unless you're already walking five miles a day. And then that's what your body has grown accustomed Uh to and you're conditioned for it. But what I'm saying is just like any other exercise, if you want to, let's throw in bench press for a second. If you want to bench press 200 pounds, you're not going to start with 200 pounds the first day and do it every day. You've got to build up. You've got to progress on. So if you're just now thinking, yeah, I got to get out and move. I got to, I think I will start a walking program. Okay. Just do it in moderation and know that walking is actually an exercise and chances are you're going to rely on certain patterns of movement more than others, which will develop certain musculature response in a certain way. And therefore you may want to focus on allowing the body to kind of open up in those areas that are are restricted and try to, to wake up the the areas that aren't turning on, you know, basically again, balancing out the body, but then go for a walk or do it before and after. How else do people get around? I mean, granted, there's going to be some people that are, that live in wheelchairs. That's not their choice. It's just how they live. But so many other Americans actually by choice live in wheelchairs. They're called cars. They're called office chairs. They're called so many other things, but most chairs, most cars. I mean, that's the position that we have grown accustomed to. And now with COVID, oh my God, now how many Zoom rooms can you be in where you're just down? Think of that. The orthopedic uh, tornado that's about to hit, that may have hit already, that's going to because our nation is not necessarily moving on a regular basis as much as it was, say, even a year ago. Yeah. I had a client just yesterday. He is a surgeon and he he's, he was like complaining because he was late to our session because he had not one, but three meetings yesterday. Actually, I had two technically. And then the one was like a follow-up on the actual meeting. But he said, it's like, because everyone's so accessible, like you could just pop on a Zoom meeting. It's not like you have to have everyone physically together. Like his meetings have just increased. And I mean, also there's obviously more things to talk about as far as like you know, if you work at a hospital protocols for COVID and all that, but yeah, it is crazy. And like, I can totally attest to the, like, I have to go out of my way to change positions during the day because I'm a student now. And like, I spend a lot of my time either, you know, studying, sitting down or lying down or standing up or walking my dog. Like I literally just try to change the position that I'm in because I know when I sit a lot, I just feel terrible. So. Yeah. It's crazy. Sitting and smoking. We hear it. You know, there's going to be a bumper sticker with that on there. Yeah. So uh, I study PRI and a Postural Restoration Institute. And our founder, Ron, when he talks about this, he talks about how he studied amputees for a very long time. And this is one of the reasons he understands the body so well, because you would think an amputee might not be able to move so well, because let's say they're missing a leg uh, or both their legs. 
but their actual way of movement with their organs and how they move internally with the way of walking, they actually presented way more efficient with their movement patterns than regular humans. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting kind of to go off what you were talking about with walking. Yeah, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating to me that the human body, I am just every day I'm enamored by it. I am just Mm -hmm. amazed. And it's so, it mystifies me too. I mean, just to see when people come in and see me, they will use words that I don't prefer. And I will encourage them to have a different mindset. And what I mean by that is they come in and and typical one is, oh, this is my bad shoulder. This is my good side. Like really bad shoulder. Did it wake up one day in Thailand with the next door neighbor's wife or something and leave the kids? I mean, how is that a bad (laughs) shoulder? What if you thought of it this way? That shoulder is like a wounded veteran. It is a warrior and it has done its best to take you through every activity and sport in your life as it can. And it's just getting really, really jacked up. What would that be like if you just said, this is my affected side. This is the one that has really depended upon or relied upon. And now it's, it's not very happy or this, yeah, this is my unhappy. Anything like that would be so much better. But it's amazing when you watch somebody move and you see that they are, have a history of like an ACL tear, or maybe they've got inversion sprains, or they were in some head-on collision, and yet they figured out a way to continue moving. The Mm -hmm. subconscious found the next most efficient way. It may not be the efficient way, but they found the next best way to do something. And then that's what our life is compiled upon, if you think about it, is that Every experience we've had, our brain has constantly tried to figure out the most efficient way to handle that event. And then that has developed into a pattern. And then that pancakes on to another layer of another event. So whether it's an injury, an emotional episode, a surgical procedure, whatever, you're constantly negotiating between one area of the body to another. And that is what I find so fascinating is the constant negotiation between, say, the the right foot and the left shoulder or the jaw and the lower back. I mean, there's this constant interplay that you start looking at it in certain light and it's amazing. Yeah. And I would fascinating having seen mold, uh, so many people can really help you get an eye for that because as someone who's obviously younger in this field, it's like, it's obviously more overwhelming when you haven't confirmed that it's actually a pattern, you know? And I mean, Alina is seeing so many patients every day. She's working with a physical therapist that works with, she's completely PRI based Casey Aiken. Excellent. And she, yeah, I just feel like she's always telling me about things that she's seeing in patients and just, I don't know. It really is crazy how, how your body truly just wants to be balanced and it'll find whatever it can in order to like keep you moving forward, so to speak. Compensate you somehow. I don't like slamming occupations or institutes, but, and I won't say slam, but if you don't shake the tree every now and then, then the ripe fruit's not going to fall. Right. And you're not going to be, you'll stay hungry if you don't do that and and nothing's going to change. So you mentioned an orthopedic surgeon and also mentioning physical therapy. And I got to say, I really have a hard time finding the quality of those institutes I won't say necessarily locally. I mean, just in general, the physical therapists have for so long been the symptom centric or symptom based approach. And that's how they've been taught. So it's, you can't necessarily blame a specific physical therapist, but to actually go outside of 
the traditional learning that says, mm -hmm. if you've got a knee problem, we're going to do knee exercises. Yeah. To go to someone uh, such as with PRI and, and say, oh, well, could it be related to how that knee is behaving with the rest of the body? Is there something else that's going on where that knee is actually being asked to do more than its fair share? And now it's really quite upset. And the orthopedics medical school, it just, it makes me scratch my head and just drop my jaw that, do you know how long, how much time is spent on learning biomechanics and human movement in medical school? Maybe one class, maybe an hour. Yeah, a total of potentially two weeks of yeah. class time. Not very much at all, considering you're there for four to six years. And considering that like all of your patients are going to, that is going to be the cause, unless they, you know, got in some sort of traumatic accident. That's usually like, that's so many, but most people that have like back pain in the United States, for example, it's like chronic low back pain, you know? It's not insidious. It's not bad luck. It's obviously lifestyle based. And so you need to the look at reason. The, whole, the whole person, you know, not even just like how they move, but like how stressed are they? History, yeah. lifestyle. How much trauma yeah. are they holding? Yeah. And we're all on the same page with this. But yeah. And luckily, so I was already of this mindset myself before I started school, but also Baylor, we're learning, you know, more. I don't know. Are you familiar with Shirley Sarman? Very much so. Yes. She is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I'd already heard of her previously. But Baylor is very much like based on kind of that way of thinking, which I'm hoping, I'm pretty sure that physical therapy schools overall are at this point. But I know that, you know, the initial profession was very like symptom treatment based, like passive modality based and like, here, let's do these exercises on a table for these specific muscles and hope that it transfers. All right, out the door you go, go walk away, like with good mechanics, good luck. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I, we're like getting more into like the meat and potatoes of like actually you know, assessing people, obviously like invisible fake people currently, but soon it'll be more real, which is just, it just makes me so excited. I just love the problem solving aspect and just the whole person aspect. You know, you get someone's trust, someone's buy-in and their faith in you and like their just confidence, ability to work with you 50-50. And you can just make so much more progress than like being like, okay, I'm the practitioner, you're the patient, this is how it goes. Like, I'm just going to fix you and then send you out the door. And I feel like that's, part of the, like the conversation that needs to happen just overall with our society is that people need to be empowered, but they also want to need to want that. Right. And I feel like that's part of the issue too. Yeah, I'd agree. I definitely do. I mean, it's just, it's a rare occurrence when I run into an orthopedic surgeon who it is going to say, you know, let's wait and see if we really need surgery. There's more and more that are not so scalpel happy, but if you go to somebody and you've got shoulder impingement, they're going to say, well, we can go in there and shave it down or let's, you know, let's try physical therapy first, which is great. But then it depends on the physical therapist you go to and what are they going to do? They're probably going to do a whole bunch of chest stretching and rotator cuff work. And what if though that shoulder is coming forward as a way of managing the mass of your body over your feet because something else is not going forward the way it should? Mm -hmm. So therefore, what if say your hips are rotated, your pelvis is rotated and you got one hip that's internally rotated and the other one's externally rotated and the upper body is trying to manage on top of that? You can stretch out and you can strengthen that shoulder till the cows come home. But until you look at the whole integrated structure and figure out what the root cause is, or at least go in that direction, then nothing's going to change. You'll shave down that AC space and give them freedom to movement. But then that just allows more 
forward progress or another symptom to appear. And then the next thing you know, they're collecting surgeries rather than stamps or whatever, you know? I think the problem really comes down to the education behind it too. We, our school education like what we learned in grad school and we're certified athletic trainers and what Megan's learning. I do think it is getting better, but like you were just talking about medical school, even when it comes to understanding, just they understand the physiology and we learn the physiology, the anatomy very well, but the application is there's a missing piece. And I think some people through more of a functional, I don't love the word functional, but that is truly what it is. A more functional approach come to understand like, oh, this person might be using one side of their body more than the other side of their body. And these more continuing education, that's when somebody grows. It's kind of what you talk about, like your journey too, like your experiences kind of have led you. But it's very frustrating because I do agree with you about physical therapy as a profession, surgery, many doctors, and not just orthopedics. But I think when it comes to orthopedics, I think people are looking at things as orthopedic problems and it's a lot more neurology. And there's a huge thing that think when you start to be like, okay, the bones are just following and the muscles are just doing what the brain feels safe doing. And the brain is the king and body's just doing what the brain wants. And then how do you tap into that brain using the vagus nerve, using sensation, all these things that's like, you know, but the, it's just missing in our formal education. And then on top of it, we have insurance companies billing for things like foam rolling. So there's, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an uphill battle. It's an octopus yeah. for sure. But I'm just yeah about how we learned anatomy was basically your the muscular anatomy. We learned based on an open chain kind of concept of a body on a gurney, right? You just mm-hmm. laying on a table. When the body is laying down or is open chain, the muscle is going to behave quite different than when the feet touch the ground. And the moment the feet touch the ground, it's going to change everything. So we were told in anatomy class, the gastrocnemius and soleus, the calf muscles, are responsible for plantar flexing the ankle, right? For helping to do a calf raise, to lift the heel off the ground. Mm -hmm. But in movement, that's just a small part of it. Really, it's to decelerate dorsiflexion, to decelerate knee extension, Mm -hmm. right? If we start to look at the body as how it moves, it changes the way in which we conceptualize what we've been taught, the muscles, the the joints and everything. It's a completely different world. So if you're going to be studying physical therapy, athletic training, and it's based on an open chain model, and you're trying to deal with people in closed chain environments, it's going to be very confusing. You're actually going to have to unlearn and then Mm-hmm. learn all over again in a completely different way. So yeah. hopefully you two are in a really great position where you don't have to do that. Myself, on the other hand, I had to unlearn so much of the stuff that I thought was correct. And then to let go of what you think is correct is a huge leap of faith. Mm-hmm. But then there's the proof in the pudding and then evidence-based results were happening and it was just fantastic. Yeah. I just think it's so important no matter what, like just to be like your own devil's advocate, but also just be devil's advocate for every single thing that you learn, like, because it could be shown to be not correct tomorrow, or, you know, there's different ways to look at things and different ways to skin a cat, you know? So I'm learning that in school, just like trying to not necessarily unlearn things that I've learned, but just applying it to what I feel I understood previously right? So that you can have a a more holistic understanding of everything that you're learning. So 
Anyway, I feel like we could literally talk about this for forever and ever, but we actually have a couple of other questions for you that we ask every one of our guests. So the first one, actually, it's kind of two questions in one. So what is something that you do every day or most days to move your brain and move your body or both? Move my brain. So uh, educational platforms between a couple of different groups that I will say I belong to. Anatomy in Motion, mm-hmm. which is, or Finding Center, mm-hmm. Gary Ward. Chris. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've been studying under them for seven years now, and now I'm one of their mentors. There's about seven of us worldwide. And so we help those that go on and learn through them. We can become kind of, yeah, guides, mentors. So there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of content. So I watch something there or also motor neurology with Z Health, Dr. Eric Cobb. He's got a fantastic educational platform. So if you Ah. doing certification processes, because the brain is the overall governing body and we can do as much to the body, but it may be something that's more in the neurological system. Mm -hmm. So can we affect the neurological system to encourage better movements and better strength and stability and balance, coordination, accuracy, all those things. Can we get the whole systems up? So basically I'm biomechanics and neurology, and I try and take something from there and, and watch something every day to improve my understanding. And then physically, honestly, I surf. I love moving my body, but there's something about connecting with mother nature and riding waves of energy that initially started from the cosmos and out in the sun, not to get too hippiedom in uh, Santa Cruz <laughs> surf, but lore, but I mean, the energy comes from the sun, it turns into wind, the wind turns into liquid energy, and then eventually it comes to the coast and I have this one opportunity to connect with it and ride it as long as I can. So there's something amazing about that and very cleansing at the same time. And you get to leave all your troubles on the beach and they'll be there when you go back on them, but at least you get a reprieve. So that's how I move my brain and my body. Love Love it. That's like, honestly, one of my favorite answers that we've gotten from any guests. Yeah. Cool. You don't sound like a hippie. You just sound like you're from Santa Cruz, There you go. <laughs> which I guess could one, be the same thing. We have one more question and we're going to link all the stuff, but where can people find you? And I'm guessing uh, surfing in Santa Cruz. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of hide behind the bushes most of the time, but yeah, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Rocky underscore Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. Uh, it'd be great to do that. I have a couple of podcasts. One's called the Rock Fit Files and it's heard on wherever podcasts are heard. So Apple music, and all the rest, Spotify. And then the one that I, and I enjoy that one, but my pet project is called Zealous. And that's another podcast, the Zealous, Z-E-L-O-S. And I get to interview people like yourself, as well as athletic trainers, strength coaches in Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, and outside that realm, Major League Rugby, Major League Soccer, um, Premier Soccer, the Olympics, all over the place, including the, the America's Cup sailing team that in New Zealand. I just interviewed the strength coach from there. And we just talk about strength and conditioning, athletic training, physical therapy, performance enhancement, development, and so on. So it's called cool. Zealous, and it airs every week. Had like Vern Gambetta, Al Vermeil, Mike Boyle, a whole bunch of the the leaders in the field or or legends too. So and then of course, you know, social media and my website, RockySnyder.com. You can check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, this Thank you been, so, so much. It's been oh, such a pleasure. pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. 
If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.